0: It's so old now. It's like from 1980. It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, Steve Jobs, like you know, back before everything. This is like 1980. Back, oh, before, back before,
1: before everything. <laughs> Welcome to episode 26 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing. The F is for well, you decide. As you're probably asking yourself, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, founding editor of Rockstar CMO, your monthly dose of marketing street knowledge. You can find us at rockstarcmo.com or at rockstarcmo on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode was recorded on Friday the 4th of September. I hope you've had a good week. You're staying safe, well, and as sane as you feel you need to be. And I'm glad you're here. If you're enjoying the show, drop us a rating, comment, or it would be wonderful to hear from you. I'm sticking to the usual set list. In a moment, I'll take a look at the latest issue of Rockstar CMO. I chat to Ian Lowe, VP Marketing of Crown Peak, a digital experience and content management platform. And I again have the opportunity to retire to the virtual Rockstar CMO bar for a cocktail and a chat with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Right, let's get started, shall we? As regular listeners will know, while this is a weekly podcast, the web and newsletter versions of Rockstar CMO is a monthly publication, and this week saw the launch of the September issue, and that's what I'd like you to take a look at this week. 2020 has been a bit of a blur. Many people talk about how lockdown has changed their routine to the point they're unsure about what day, week, or maybe even what month it is. And our work and home lives have become blurred. Do we work from home? Or are we now doing home at work? And that's the theme for this month, those blurry lines. It's a fabulous issue as a dozen of our wonderful community of CMOs, senior marketers and writers give us lots of advice for dealing with that blurry line. And in the month that saw an outspoken marketing social media commentator, Tom Goodwin, relieved of his position at publicist for his views on the coronavirus. We also talk about the line on social media between our personal and professional passions. Aside from splendid articles from our house band of writers, we have the regular features, we discuss the topic of the issue in the green room, we have a new nomination for the Rockstar CMO swimming pool, and spin the dial on the interwebs with our sample feature that suggests other articles that might help you when dealing with those blurry lines. We name each issue after a classic album, and with a thing like that, the album chose itself. It had to be the 1997 album Blur by the Blur, the British Britpop Act. And for a change, I might have actually picked something that others will agree is a classic. NME once ranked it at number 137 in its list of 500 greatest albums of all time. Please take a look at the issue. I'm incredibly grateful to everyone that contributed. Please share their work. And you can find The Blur Issue on our website, rockstarcmo.com. Click on the latest issue. And I will, of course, include a link to it in the show notes. Right, on to the interview. Ian Lowe leads marketing technology software provider Crown Peaks Marketing and Communications as VP of Marketing. He's a marketing executive with 20 years of marketing and technology experience, with most of the last 10 years in the web content management space. We chat about his journey from technologist to marketer, how his team have worked during COVID, and a surprising nomination for the Rockstar CMO Swimball. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Ian. Thanks for joining me on Rockstar CMO FM. How are you?
0: Oh, I'm doing great, Ian. Thanks very much for having me on today. You know, I feel really lucky. You know, everything that's going on in the world, uh, me, my friends, my, my family, we're staying healthy and safe. And that's the, the most critical thing uh, for all of us, I guess. How about you? How are you doing?
1: That's true. Yeah, no, we're doing all right. We're doing okay in the UK. We're kind of uh, easing our way out of lockdown, I suppose. The schools are going to start in a couple of weeks, so the kids will be back. So that's where we are. And where, where are we speaking to you at?
0: Um, I live in Barrie, Ontario, which is about an hour north of Toronto, Canada.
1: Oh, nice. Toronto is a lovely city. I'm a little bit familiar with it. I've been there a couple of times. Very nice. Now, you've um, been featured on the backstage Q&A inside the pages of uh, Rockstar CMO. I think we spoke to you last year. But for our listeners who don't know who you are, tell us a bit about your current role and who you are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So currently, I run marketing for Crown Peak. Uh, Crown Peak is a Digital experience platform uh, company that also has products for digital governance and quality and privacy and consent. And I've been here moving on two years. It'll be two years in November. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know my background is actually pretty interesting. I, I started off from a technologist background uh, as a developer, and then ran IT functions, but always kind of in service of sales and marketing. And slowly migrated over to the marketing stack, uh, and mm-hmm. have made uh, my career now out of helping marketing in the tech space.
1: Yeah, it's amazing because uh, a number of people, I mean, including myself, uh, started off as developers and turned or, or techies and turned marketers. I was talking to Tom Wentworth last week; exact same story. What was your transition? What drove you from? I mean, here's his and my experiences. We were in pre-sales at vendors, but what was your experience and what was the trigger that that turned you into a marketer, if you like?
0: it was really the web you know mm-hmm. we started off you know developing applications and software and databases uh, usually yeah. in the service of sales and marketing because that was what was growing companies yeah and then you know as uh, the web became a more and more important part of everybody's tech stack everybody's go to market it slowly sort of took over what you were doing from an IT perspective mm. and there is this great synergy between what we were you doing technologically to get your your vision and your messages up on the web, uh, engaging with audiences and the the technical skills to to make it work and the marketing know-how to make those messages really impactful and empowering. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, working with marketers and sales organizations for so long and building applications, it just really felt natural to start expanding that sort of more creative growth driven mindset out of just sort of systems operations and into the you know, the, the, the systems of marketing. And, you know, for, for me, it's, it's really sort of that operational side that really appeals to me to marketing. I I love the creativity, the messaging, Mm -hmm. you know, the design, all that kind of stuff is really thrilling, but marketing, especially today with, with how we've developed and enlarged our marketing technology stacks uh, Mm -hmm. the way we just approach everything from an analytical and systematic perspective, there is a strong, you know, systematic technological approach to marketing That yeah. layers on top of all that brand stuff that we've been doing forever in marketing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you're a kind of a technologist turned marketing technologist turned marketing operations turned marketing guy, kind of. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the career path. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, really interesting. And you've worked for a number of large vendors along the way as well, haven't you?
0: Uh, yeah. So here at Crown Peak for two years. Before that, I was at at Sitecore for seven and a half. Uh, before wow. that, was engagements in. A couple of big Canadian uh, companies, uh, Able Pest Control, which is like the, the Terminix of Canada. Uh, yeah. And before that, um, a company that eventually became actually the Canadian division of True Green. So both yeah. in that B2C space, uh, really, you know, cut my teeth there and then migrated over into Sitecore into that B2B enterprise tech sales.
1: Yeah. And what do you think you learned from B2C when you made that tr- transition to B2B?
0: So when, when you're dealing with, with B2C, I mean, there's this this real driver, this belief that you have these individual consumers who are engaging with that that one particular purchase that's meaningful for them. Yeah. But when you look at those groups of people um, all together, you start seeing patterns in the data and start seeing motions and movements that only happen when you have large sets of data. Right. Now, we've taken those same tools and techniques and started applying them in in the B2B space over the last several years. But you still have that idea that with those consumer um, engagements, you get such a large volume of data and history that you build up in your relationship that it really allows you to understand, you know, their motivations, their psychology, you know, what, what are their needs and wants that allows you to refine your business, uh, work with them better, drive a more profitable relationship both on both sides of it, you know, better for yeah. the consumer because they get more of what they want. And better for the business because they're able to drive a more profitable engagement.
1: Yeah, yeah, really interesting. And and when we chatted uh, backstage, and this sort of I guess um, talks about your background from a marketing technologist and operations perspective, but you cited Good to Good to Great by Jim Collins as an influence over your marketing career. Mm-hmm. And I like the way you describe it as a glimpse of the operating systems of great organizations. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit about that. What, what how, you you've you kind of really interpreted that book in that way.
0: Well, I think that a lot of people who start off from a, a technology perspective you start off as a, as a developer mm. you know working in in code can seem so clean and easy you you yeah. provide a series of instructions the computer does exactly what you tell yeah. it to whether that yeah. was right or wrong whether it's got bugs or not it's gonna do what you told it to do yeah and and I think that a lot of people who engage with sort of product marketing or product driven smes can can get this you know relationship where there's like this idea that there's a you know, uh, an absolute way to interpret things as very systematic an approach. And then you look at business and marketing and sales and it can feel very, you know, squishy, very sort yeah. of ill-defined, you know, not really structured. Um, and I, I think that you'll, you'll probably agree with me. Many technologists kind of don't like the business side in, in part, maybe because of that.
1: Yeah. So but,
0: I, sorry. I was agreeing with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so when you read, you know, um, Good to Great and the, and the other similar books in the in the series, what it did yeah. to, for me is help me understand that actually there's a, a systematic approach that works when you talk about how do you define your business structures? How do you deal with who you want to work with? Um, what are the goals and aspirations for the organization and the department's? And what I said there is that it feels kind of like the, the operating system for a business because it's beyond just the human beings interacting. But how do you set up those systems and processes, beliefs and values, in a way that humans are going to be successful inside of that organization and be able to work together towards a goal that's greater than any of them individually could have done?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's, that's that's really interesting. It, it is a really, you know, it's a great book. I'm I'm a big fan of. Of lots of marketing books, but uh, that one—that one's uh, great, also. Um, and talking about the the way the organisation is working, I mean, we're in the hopefully the tail end. I don't know, in the start, who knows of this pandemic, right? How's that worked with running your own team? I mean, presumably, you're a, you're a large spread remote team, right, over at Crown Peak?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I've been kind of lucky. The, the, the pandemic has been for me personally, you know, relatively benign. Um, a lot of people are struggling and it, it's been a real challenge for them. I've been working remote for 10 years and managing teams remotely, you know, in the U.S. and Canada, in Europe and elsewhere, remotely. So the, the transition to remote-only work that a lot of us had to go through with was was pretty straightforward for, for me. Right. Now, I was also lucky at Crown Peak because everyone had a at least one work-from-home day, so everybody was already more or less prepared for work from home. I think everybody had to go through adjustments, particularly if if suddenly, you know, both people in a relationship might be working from home. You might not be ready for that. Mm-hmm. So I think people have to go through these adjustments, but it was, it was a relatively smooth transition. And what we found actually at, at Crown Peak is the amount of, you know, energy investment, um, you know, really went up. Uh, everybody really had that we're in this together attitude. And we knew yeah. we were going to go through a challenging macroeconomic environment. Everybody kind of took a deep breath back in March and April and said, how do we, like not just Crown peak everybody in the world, like how do we yeah. forecast? What is this going to mean? For um, so the tech industry has been, been been pretty good. Uh, other industries obviously affected more, more severely, but everybody really buttoned down. And in fact, we've had to go through periods of just like really helping people, you know, schedule some time off, get those breaks. So, when, when a lot of people were taking those furloughs or, or or breaks because of the way their organization was running, we were running full tilt. Yeah. So for, for us at Crown Peak, what we found is um, there was so much to do. You had to change messaging and perspectives and, and advertising and really get nitty-gritty on the performance of every ad unit because we did a reforecast. We had to extract every ounce of value we possibly could out of our demand dollars and yeah. um, rebuild our budget. So, you know, that period of most intense activity, which would have run, you know, uh, mid to late March, probably through June or July. I mean, it was, it's been really intense, um, really great for the team. What we've had to do is just, you know, specifically in marketing is uh, particularly because we're remote where once we had like 15 minute daily standups meet with my, my leadership team. um, Mm -hmm. Now we're doing, you know, full hours every day. Just yeah. to make sure we're getting every the brain power in the room. We're all thinking about the same problems, going through the list of what we're trying to tackle, updating. You know, things are are, are a little bit better now, but I mean there was a time there where it seemed like the focus and what was working wasn't working was changing every week. And so you yeah. had to like every yeah. day, you had to be thinking, hey, what's going on? What's going to be the next thing? How do we engage with it? You know, hey, we we ran these tests last week. Are they yielding yet? What are we going to do? Just a really high amount of of focus. Um, I think most people are now, not that the pandemic is over, not that COVID is over, but we're kind of getting in, in many organizations to a sort of like, hey, we kind of know what this is going to look like for the next several right. months. Um, and now we're sort of extracting to a more strategic planning level. How are we going to operate? Uh, the, though no longer seems like weekly changes, maybe they're monthly changes, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which allows you to to react and, and build more comprehensive results. Uh, yeah. Sorry, more, more comprehensive responses.
1: And and has that sort of more strategic calm view? Is that reflected in your clients as well as the way you guys are operating? Are you seeing a, a, the the business climate sort of calming down a little bit as well?
0: I think when it first broke out, there was generally three kinds of responses. You'd have organizations, yeah. you know, who might be in a in a particularly strongly affected industry, who were just like, "Hey, this these projects, these digital experience projects." Yeah, they're off the table for now. We got to go work on some other things. You had other organizations who were like, "Hey, we have to reforecast. We have to go, you know, rebuild our budgets and our plans, and you know, we're going to come back in a month." Mm-hmm. And then other people who were like, "Digital is the only thing we have left. We need to accelerate these projects." Right. And the big question I think everybody had is, okay, which which one was going to win out? Who, yeah. Where was the the weight of the industry going to go? um and and i i make the joke that you know when we all went into this we were trying to forecast every company was trying to forecast is it going to be bad worse or worst yeah yeah <laughs> and it, i think most of us have decided uh, unless you're in a, in a badly affected industry right there are, yeah. are industries that are have been really impacted um yeah. but it's probably not worst for most people yeah yeah um and it's a question of of what's the upside uh, we've right. been seeing a lot of upside we see a lot of businesses who are like, hey, we, you know this is happening. Either hey, this is temporary. The economy's coming back. We got to grow with it. Digital's or digital's like super important. We have to get a, just a fantastic digital experience. Um, other organizations uh, are particularly are are really emphasizing agility and speed. They have to be able to move quickly, and they're looking for solutions that are going to allow them to really ratchet up their flexibility and agility as they respond to market conditions like we've just gone through.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and that's presumably the freedom to ratchet up and ratchet down right that they can Mm turn it on and off and I thought it was really, really interesting um because you guys published some interesting data from the at the beginning didn't you of the of the pandemic of of because you're you've got a SaaS platform right so mm-hmm. you can see what people are doing uh, centrally um and it showed that marketers are ramping up their content act- activities in fact I think you were saying that it was an almost ninefold increase in web publication happening mm-hmm. in sort of March April time it, tell us a bit about that report what you found through that and is that something that's continued or is there just a, like this big spike or what happened
0: yeah so as you mentioned we're we're a SaaS platform so we take mm-hmm. care of all sort of the the infrastructure and maintenance for for our customers but that also okay. means that we, we see their operations executing um, okay. all against our, our central multi-tenant platform and we're able to see what they're doing as they go in and and make edits, yeah. uh, make changes. And what we looked at was not just people going in and making edits and changes, but when they were publishing those changes out to their website. Yeah. And so we kind of saw this spike up. Uh, it impacted um, you know, we could see the the, the volume of, of uh, Systematica, uh, you know, demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we scaled that up. Or none of our customers, you know, even knew that that was happening, but we just sort mm-hmm. of took care of that transparently for them. And we're like, what, what's happening here? And we dug into it, cracked that open. And we saw in that post covid period the the number of of publish events as people took new content live on their site know, basically doubled overnight and yeah. was, was spiking we'd have like a day of four times that it's across the customer base yeah. um, and we had one day in particular was a sunday where the daily edit volume went up by 9x people were just wow. and, and that was uh, you know at the uh, the tail end of march I, I think there was a break there uh, for me you know the day that it, it happened in north america anyway anyway for me was uh at the, right at the beginning of March when the NBA canceled the yeah. season. Or I guess they didn't cancel the season. They're back now. But they they postponed all their games. And that really sort of seemed to take it from COVID's serious to, oh, no, this is like something completely new. Mm-hmm. And there seemed to be a lag there of one or two weeks. Was everybody, yes, there was a lot of edits, lots of changes. People or organizations were trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to respond? What are we going to do about this? And that kind of pushed through their organization and really ramped up with that publishing volume. And the publishing volume has maintained. I, I think I go back to that idea that the pace of yeah. change, what's happening in the market, is, is kind of stayed high. This isn't something where you publish something uh, back at the, at the end of March and then you didn't have to touch anything again for the rest of the year. This is ongoing changes and tunings and, and mm. updates as uh, these big B2C and B2B organizations attempt to communicate with their their customers um, right now, we're still running considerably higher than than pre-COVID. Uh, lots of edits and changes, but I think there's there's two elements to that. One is just like pure COVID response. Yeah. The the second thing is organizations have realized they either have to or that they can on our platform update as as frequently as they achieved, and that's risen them up to a new level of like, hey, look look how much more we could be doing, right? Or alternatively, how much more we absolutely need to be doing because digital is the only reliable channel left um and, and either way that's uh, that's what we're seeing today
1: yeah i was wondering because i th- what i thought was interesting about the data was that it was like it was from the consumption end and you could see what was really happening and a lot of people are talking about the fact that um, COVID has accelerated digital transformation, mm. um, within organizations, but also, um, techniques like virtual selling and, and both of those really need us to lean into content marketing, content management, and to get better at that. Do you think that's, are you seeing an indicator of that? Do you think in your data?
0: Yeah, we're, we're seeing it both like in the, the quantitative data and the, in the yeah. qualitative conversations. Yeah. There's, um, for for years we've been talking about digital transformation, <laughs> yeah. what that's yeah. gonna do. And there's that joke about, you know, who ran digital transformation, was it marketing, IT, or COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the um, that's the world we live in. And I, I go back yeah. to that statement, like digital is the only reliable channel left. You've you've got to make this thing work, be it be effective. Hmm. And, and what we're finding is organizations are starting to realize that like with anything, <laughs> we can even go back to like you know, it's a great conversation. Like with anything, it's it's more about the the execution. You know, great execution rather than just sort of um, being happy with the the current or the the status quo, uh, rather than building. Hey, let's let's do this really huge project that ultimately will will garner results. People are looking like, hey, no, we have to be delivering now. We can't oh, yeah. wait two or three or four years for some ROI on this thing. What can we be doing today that is going to materially shift our numbers? Materially going to change the course that we're currently on and get us a better relationship with the customer, increased demand, whatever the metric is to to drive it. So what we're seeing, I think you find this backed up by the analysts in the industry is a real focus on agility. How Mm -hmm. fast can you move? How fast can you change directions? How fast can you iterate? Seems to be coming top of mind, um, which is particularly good for us because that's been our focus from the beginning. But I think that's just the general census in the market that you can't be in a position where it takes you, Three months to change direction. You've got to be able to yeah. change direction inside of a week now.
1: Yeah, yeah. And from and, and that's your customers uh, for, as you as a marketing leader. Um, I presume that you used to do a lot of events and stuff like that. How have you seen that transition yourself? Have you did you switch to virtual events? How, have you seen them to be successful?
0: Well, we've leaned. I mean, virtual events. I mean, we've leaned into into webinars. Um, mm-hmm. We've been sort of keeping our pulse on the virtual events, like that would have been trade shows previously. Um, our focus is really during this period has been on audiences are ready to engage and take action.
1: Um,
0: and so it's really trying to service them. It's almost a not, not, you know, it's an enterprise sales motion, what we do. So it's not like people are just going to come in and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, click a couple buttons and be done with it, but it's, it's really helping them if they're ready to engage, help them get into understanding what the product does and talking to us as fast as possible. Right, um, and that that's really paying off for us. Really engaging with audiences; they know they need to do something, they know what they want to do. Um, they've already identified, you know, this seventy-eight percent of you know the yeah. process yeah. is done before they even talk to you. Um, yeah. So they've already seen our differentiators on our website, that, you know, about uh, agility and cost of ownership and so on. So they're ready to <laughs> they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be ready to engage on the, the moment they come through. And that's right. where a lot of our focus has been, is just understanding that psychology better, understanding the marketing messages that lean into that. Um, and that's, that's really paid off for us.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. Um, and um, uh, I'm going to ask the final question now. And as you know, because you're a Rockstar CMO regular, uh, we have a regular feature called the Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool, in which we throw all the snake oil, bullshit, and rubbish from the industry that we love. <laughs> uh, and in um, our backstage Q and A, you threw, and I love this because so many marketing technologists or people from technology background look at technology t- as to what they want to throw in the swimming pool. And you threw digital transformation suites, which I think points at some of the things we've discussed already. Are you sticking with that, or would you like to nominate something else?
0: I, I I think it's it's as true today as it was when when we did that interview. the mm-hmm. the The fundamental issue is that there is no substitute for the hard work of marketing mm-hmm. and lining up your strategy against that, that work you're trying to do, the audiences you're trying to engage with, and then building a tech stack against that strategy. Mm-hmm. And uh, far too long, I've been guilty of this too. This isn't just me. I think everybody kind of falls into this trap mm-hmm. from time to time, is uh, we'll go out we'll be like, hey, we need, you know, in our case, a new content management system, but it might be marketing automation, it might be CRM, and whatever you're looking for, And you, you go out with an idea if you need a solution and you end up getting sold on the bells and whistles, or, you know, Mm -hmm. look at all these cool stuff. This other thing does, it's going to take care of digital transformation for you. It's going to automate, you know, understanding your audiences. It's going to, you you know, automatically increase your basket size, whatever it is. Um, and you kind of say, Oh, I need that. I need that in my life because it's going to make my life easier and it's going to help us grow, Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily aligned with your strategy. And so you bring this technology into your organization and find out you have to start adapting your whole organization, your processes, your systems, um, and in fact, your strategy in order to fit the technology rather than the other way around. Um, so that's that's what gets me is that is not necessarily the suites themselves. It's just that they're so big and monolithic and all encompassing as they can end up driving out the actual hard strategy work that the marketers are trying to do and, and try to substitute their own, which may or may not fit. I think most organizations are going to be a, a lot happier when they're able to go in and say, I'm trying to do, here's the things that are most important to me. Here's the things I'm trying to do over the next 12 to 24 months. And then finding that technology that actually fits directly into those drivers, uh, they're going to yeah. get much faster results, um, much harder ROI. Yeah. I'm I think- of, um, oh man, this quote is so old now. It's like from 1980. It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, you know, but, like, back before everything. This is like yeah, 1980. before back everything. Before, right? <laughs> this is the, yeah. uh, uh, still selling the Apple Two Plus or whatever it was. Yeah. And, and he is, uh, he was saying that uh, computers are like bicycles for the mind. So, um, you know, you, you get on the thing and it just helps you go faster, dramatically increases your your efficiency. And yeah. I, I think of marketing technology the same way. It's like, it's like the bicycle for your marketing. It should help you become more efficient. It should help you increase your reach but it doesn't actually eliminate the work. I mean, you still got to get on that thing. And you got to pedal.
2: Yeah. In
0: fact, when you're not used to it, it you know, it, it can be a little hard to get going as, as you learn these new muscles and, and systems. And the thing is though, you have to get the right bicycle for you. Um, if you get the wrong bicycle, if you get like some high performance tour de France bicycle as your first, like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like you just got to make yeah, yeah, sure you're yeah, getting absolutely. what's yeah. right for you. That's yeah. going to actually allow you to do what you're trying to do. You try to get down to the shop. Yeah. What are you trying to do? Um, yeah. Same thing with marketing technology. Uh, just make sure you're going and picking that best-of-breed solution that's going to drive your results today because driving the results today is what earns you the budget for the next step tomorrow.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can't wait yeah, yeah, more that, years for that anymore. Yeah, ne- never build your requirements based on the demo. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely yeah yeah and 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 i think we i mean i've been in the web content management industry for all oh, the content management industry or the dxp industry or whatever you want to call it today mm-hmm. for like 20 years since then yeah and i think people have been saying that the whole time right is um we keep we keep changing the acronyms but actually people want to do the same a lot of the same basic stuff right is they want to publish pages to the website they want to they want to manage that in some personalized way they want to manage the the, the customer data it's it, it's it we've just changed the acronyms all the time right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um so thank you very much in a real pleasure to talk to you and thank you for your ongoing uh collaboration with us on on rockstar cmo I really like your your inputs um and then finally um when our listeners spin the dial on the interwebs where are they going to find you
0: uh i mean uh i post on linkedin pretty pretty mm-hmm. re- frequently i'm at uh how do their urls work things like linkedin.com slash in slash id low or yeah. you can find me on uh, Twitter, at IDLow.
1: Yeah, and I have often. Well, it's very nice to speak to you. Thank you, Ian. And I look forward to speaking to you again.
0: That's uh, great, Ian. Thanks very much.
1: Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Ian. I will, of course, include all the links we discussed in the show notes. And it seems every technologist-turned-marketer that I chat to has a view that maybe we're leaning too heavily on the tech. Very interesting perspective right it's Friday evening here at the Rockstar CMO penthouse in London I'm about ready to call it a day and ease my way into the weekend with a trip to the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru Robert Rose Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking?
2: Oh, hello, my friend. It's so good to hear your voice. Yes. Well, uh, we. I am. I have to tell you, I am super excited uh, this week for the cocktail, um, especially as we come out of. Locked down and 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 are, you know, well, not come out of lockdown, but are still Mm -hmm. in lockdown for for some some portions of our country anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, The drink that I'm drinking tonight is something I'm calling an icy football. Ooh. So, there are lots of puns there, right? So there's the I see, yeah. like I actually yeah. observe. And then there's I see, you see what I did there. It's a dad joke, I know. But it's, <laughs> yes. you know, it's it, it is what it is. I see football. So, um, yes, American football is back. Um, and they're actually going to play. And I'm actually going to get to see it. And I am such a super fan wow. of American football um, that, yeah, I decided to call this week's cocktail that. And... Mm -hmm. it's also chock-a-block full of vitamin c it is absolutely a vitamin c um uh health tonic with uh orange uh juice Mm -hmm. a little bit Uh, of grapefruit juice a little uh, bit of lemon a little bit of lime and then of course a healthy dose of reposado tequila
1: nice nice like i always say every week your your drinks always sound like health health tonics and, this one uh, in
2: particular, and it, and when you get all that juice in there, it it really yeah. it's, um you'd think it that you know it you know you sort of you, you have to balance them based on your preference, like mm-hmm. I don't really love orange juice, so I only have a splash of it really. Yeah. Um, the grapefruit and the lime and the hint of lemon just sort of make it really tangy and lovely.
1: sounds sounds delicious. well, I'm going to give it a go uh, So did you put ice in it?
2: Yes, it's icy football. So I. Oh, it's that's all right. You ice. did
1: say that. Let me put some ice here. Yeah. All right. Yeah. What have I got here? Uh, oh, I've got something very similar. I've got Hendrix gin. How does that sound?
2: That will, I think, will suffice ooh. in a pinch. Yes.
1: In a pinch. Let me just give that. Oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? Bit of gin. Lovely. And then um, some fruit drinks, you said.
2: Yes, that's right. Orange, juice, orange grapefruit, variety, lime, and a hint of lemon. Yes.
1: All right. What I've got here is tonic.
2: Tonic. I think yeah. that will apply or uh, Just like the fruit juice. Uh, uh, yeah, I think they think that's. I fun.
1: think, but it, isn't it? It's packed full of something healthy, isn't it? Queen or something? packed full of tonic, I think, is what it's. It is. <laughs> yeah, but isn't it? It stops you from getting malaria or something, doesn't it? Or <laughs> is that the gin? <laughs> it's going to prevent malaria. That is true. Oops, I've dropped that. (laughs) There we go. Nice gin and tonic. I mean, sorry, a nice, what was it called?
2: It's called an icy football for the American football that we're going to get to witness
1: um, here coming up. That is delicious. And um, I, 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 um, I understand, I probably understand expensive tequila as well as I understand American football.
2: There you go. (laughs) Which is uh, about as much as I understand. Well, that's not true. I I actually have a fairly good grasp of actual football, European football. Uh
1: I would like us to discuss uh, American football more, um, but I, I couldn't hold the conversation too long apart from... Um, go cowboys, I think is Thank cowboys. you Very much, yes.
2: That's, <laughs> that's,
1: that's really all you need to know. Is, is, and presume something terrible go for about Chelsea and go for the Dallas Cowboys. Well done. Or and yes. and something terrible about Cleveland or something.
2: <laughs> something terrible about Cleveland. <laughs> if, well, Cleveland is uh, says something it basically that they are terrible, so it's mm-hmm. sort of self-evident. It's they don't you don't even really need to say anything. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm impressed with myself. I managed to hold a one-minute conversation about American football. That is fantastic. Now, um, so are we? Uh, are we sitting in the stands and drinking this we and are. watching yes. your Cowboys?
2: Absolutely, we are in the heart of Texas, which is Dallas, right. um, where I grew up and became mm-hmm. a Cowboys fan. And this would be the perfect drink um, to. I mean, so you can actually get cocktails in the football stadium these days uh-huh. and spend you know hundreds of dollars on a tequila but what i would tell you is is that we we basically would sneak a flask in is what we and i would sneak a flask in because that would be the way we would get really good tequila into the into the stadium and then we would buy one of the uh, either fruit juices there or um you know and and then just basically spike it so
1: Yeah, yeah nice that's what I, I mean I, I as you know I lived in the US a couple of times and for us uh, if you're a football fan you know the alcohol in the in the ground is is um is not you know you can't sit there and drink a beer while you're watching the football and I loved it when I was there and and I I went to baseball games I went to soccer games sorry, sorry I should say soccer um and and you're having a beer and eating peanuts is fantastic you you've really got it right over there I think
2: that is the one thing I will say about American sports culture that mm-hmm. we have done well is yeah. baseball and football uh, and the way that it is observed. And and especially, interestingly, the way both have evolved in cuisine. And I, I say that in all seriousness because <laughs> you can go to a baseball game now for many of the stadiums have improved so much the, mm-hmm. the level of food that you can get there. And you know, whether you're getting burgers or, or hot dogs or, or quite frankly, lots of really interesting things too, from kebab to, you know, bowls to, you know, all sorts of things. Um, the food and drink at stadiums has really increased quite a bit. And, but yes, there's nothing better than an ice cold beer, watching a baseball or a football game and, and just hanging out with your friends.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. So you're actually physically going to go to a game.
2: Well, I don't know. I will mm-hmm. see. We'll see how everything works out. You know, with travel, you know, and all that. Because I'm here in right. L.A. and so that means yeah, yeah, yeah. getting on a plane and staying in hotels and doing mm. all that, which is mm-hmm. probably yeah. not the smartest thing to do. But no, they no. You know, they are they are promising live people in stands. So we'll see. You know, we'll see if they can keep up with that. Mm. Good luck with
1: that. Um, and um, the, the other thing I know about American football is there's quite a lot of stoppages. And advert breaks and stuff, so we'll get some time to chat. I should imagine if we're sitting sipping these and, and watching your beloved cowboys. Um, what what snatched conversation will we have between the plays?
2: Well, hopefully, we wouldn't talk too much business
1: um, <laughs> while we're actually. Uh, I think we talk too much business in all of these lovely places we go to.
2: <laughs> but here's the thing, uh, you know, something that I has been on my mind uh, lately which is, you know, whenever I'm thinking and teaching and working with a client on content marketing, um, and and this is digital marketing, right? So Mm -hmm. sort of full stop. Um, I get two questions, right? So, and, and I don't know if you've witnessed this as well, but the two questions I get in tandem, right? So it's almost always together. It's not Mm -hmm. separate from each other, but is How do I scale content marketing? Because I'm being pressured to create more content for more digital channels than ever before. And then the second question, which is immediately attached to it, which is how do I measure it? Um, Mm. And the reason they say, how do I measure it? Is because what they want to be able to do is inevitably get more resources for it, right? I'm being pressured to create more. Therefore, I need to know how to measure it so that I can justify my need for more Technology resources or process in order to uh, in in order to accommodate that. Yeah, and you know, and so in my mind, which is interesting, is that I actually think those questions are are exactly backward. And mm-hmm. and it's the interesting thing about why people like you and I get hired to go in and look at sort of digital marketing and or uh, content marketing. Full stop yeah. is that question, which is exactly backwards. So in other words, instead of saying, how should I measure to justify the need for mm-hmm. more technology, more people or new processes? Mm-hmm. Rather, we should be asking, how are we going to scale our goal to justify yeah. what it is we should be measuring? And, I love that. And, and so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a subtle, but I think important distinction because, you know, so many times I hear, well, we need a personalization strategy or we need a marketing yeah. automation strategy or we need a content yeah. management strategy and it's like no you've already started on the wrong foot
1: yeah you're already yeah. trying to
2: scale based on something that you don't know that you need to scale
1: yeah yeah and, well i i mean i i approach that problem quite often with um with at, at the source and and try and cut off the source of do you really need more content and and there was this chap called robert rose that i worked with years and years ago that handed me Uh, A Simon Sinek book and, um, and talked about asking why, and I've found that to be the most useful way of, of handling those kinds of conversations. Well, why, why do we want to do that? Why do we create this piece of content? And then that gets you to the, that gets you to the metrics.
2: Yeah. The, the real, the real need, right. Mm -hmm. You know, the real Mm -hmm. challenge because so many times it's like, well, we need 200 pieces of content per month. Yeah, why? 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 Yeah. why do we need 200 pieces of content per month? Yeah. Because you're getting asked for 200. That doesn't yeah. mean that you need 200. You might, maybe you need 10. Maybe yeah. you need 500. Yeah. You know, and 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 we're asking the wrong questions. And then what yeah. we're doing is looking at the easiest way to measure yeah. the request for the need. Yeah. You know. In but, other words, how do I? I can. I the things I can measure. Like I look yeah. out. You know, from my desk, from my cube, or yeah. my Zoom room, and yeah. I can. See, I need 200 pieces of content per month because that's what sales, demand gen, the CEO, yeah. that's what is being requested for me. My team is creating 200. I can measure that. So yeah. great. It means if I can measure it, I can manage it. Yeah. Thus, I need to figure out, great, if I need 200, well, next month I'm going to need 250. A month of yeah. that, I'm going to need 300. Yeah. I'm going to need 400. Yeah. So yeah. I need two more people in order to accommodate yeah. and stay ahead of that. You're always going to be behind the eight ball there. You're always yeah, going to yeah, be yeah. Behind in being able to scale because scaling isn't chasing demand Mm -mm. scaling is how do you add value faster than you
1: um, add cost? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and if you look upstream as well, um, then the measurement is that it turns into not your problem anyway, because if, if you're, um, creating these 200 pieces of content because you're on a hamster wheel because somebody's demanding 200 pieces of content then you should definitely be asking why if sales say we need these pieces of content and they can't provide you with the measurement of why then you say well then you're going to need to justify that cost right is that's not for me to do that does that make sense that's exactly right i mean yeah
2: you know and and so the other thing is is that asking those two questions in that order yeah always then reinforces the fact that the content group team department, Mm -hmm. whatever it ends up being is always in reactive mode, right? So we're always trying to scale based on a reaction, you know, a reactive mode rather than saying, what should we be doing? And let me tell you how much you need.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what we should be doing is uh, creating growth for the company. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, so, you know, let's try and let's try and, think about that rather than the fact that we need a bigger sausage machine that's going to throw out more content
2: but we could all use a bigger sausage machine don't you think
1: <laughs> yeah hey, i want the shiny one yeah
2: <laughs> it's getting weird uh, It's getting <laughs> uncomfortably like <laughs> close to a really bad joke that would make us get into trouble
1: <laughs> yeah well yeah well i'm um, the bigger marketing automation machine <laughs> <laughs> And, and so, when you're when you're talking to um, clients about this stuff, how do you how do you move them away from that way of thinking? Aside from the example I gave, where you gave me this advice, but how do you work with current clients about that stuff?
2: You know, it's funny. We, we the uh, I was actually talking about this with a client just the other day. Yeah. Which is to the extent that when we work with a client that they ever have an aha moment. And Mm -hmm. I'm very blessed in the sense that when we typically work with clients, there is at least one, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of at least one aha moment where they get some value out of what it is we do. Um, But when it is, it's really just working them through that process because we've, we rarely give ourselves in the business permission to think like that. Right. Mm. In other words, our day-to-day sort of heads-down focused effort is on meeting the demands of that are immediately in front of us mm-hmm. and just taking that pause to say, hold on, let's just full stop ask why. I mean, one of my, you know, sort of, there's a, I have a cute, if not overly simplistic question when I, when I, when I go into a client and I'll say, if you just stopped producing content, like the business stopped yeah. producing content today, full stop, yeah. right? Just yeah. everything stopped. Who would yeah. miss it? Right.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. I knew you were, you were going to say that. I love yeah. that. And,
2: and yeah. I mean, it's, you know, obviously it's just a hypothetical and it's a mm-hmm. cute way to basically get to the like, huh? Yeah. yeah. Right. We, we don't really know what's important is, is, yeah. is, is truly the answer there. Mm-hmm. But the, if you peel back that question even more, it's like the, who would miss it? is how would we even know that anybody misses it yeah without them proactively calling us right yeah. in other words we often get so focused on the day-to-day demands of what we are getting asked for we just yeah to your point we never ask why what why, why right. is this why are we doing this
1: yeah because we yeah.
2: and one of the reasons that we're afraid to ask why is because the answer we might get might be because it's not important
1: yeah 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 you're saying that we create metrics around ourselves to um justify our own existence i'm
2: shocked that you would ever (laughs) (laughs) say that we would game the metrics to make ourselves seem more important than we actually are i mean come on (laughs) is
1: is it um in your experience is it um because i've heard of this where, where people are actually measuring how much content they produce have you seen that of course, every, all, all the time. That's ridiculous. We, in my it, head, yeah, I, it, my head. it is ridiculous at its face, but when
2: you think about it, it's the one thing that can mm. be measured, right? Yeah. Our, you know, and it—it's it, our industrial revolutionary mindset mm-hmm. of we, you know, we even, you know, how many businesses do you talk to that still call it a content factory? Yeah, right? and, okay. and so we call yeah. it a content factory because what are we doing we're producing widgets of content and we can measure the widgets that we produce yeah. you know i produce 14 blog posts you know we, we scale uh, one of the th- 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 uh, things that happens so often mm-hmm. is when you get when you engage an agency a content agency or a publisher or a freelancer yeah. How do you engage them? You don't engage them by the quality of the content they produce. You're engaging True. them based on how many they're going to produce.
1: Yeah, you know? no, you're absolutely right. And um, you called me on that one because you, you are absolutely right. I've had, I've had those conversations many times. And if you are going to hire a, a freelance copywriter, then it is about it is about the volume to a certain extent. But that well, that's the only way we know how to actually. Yeah.
2: You know, it's the, it's the first thing that, you know, because the assumption is, that everything you're so and it's not a bad assumption it's not a hard you know it's not a yeah you it's at a certain level you kind of have to you have to look at it this way right which is the assumption is if i if i engage you whether you're an internal employee or a freelancer or an agency and i say i need 10 blog posts this year or this month Yeah. I'm assuming that you're going to give me the ten best you got, right? The ten yeah, you know, yeah. you're always going to work at your best to give me the ten best you got. Yeah. But of course, you're not. Yeah. And the sort of understood but never stated thing is how many can you produce in that time frame that are great, that are differentiating? Mm. And mm. you, as the seller of those things, don't want to say, "Look, I can only produce eight that are amazing," because. If if I if I if you really need ten, then you may go elsewhere for the other two. Mm. And you, mm. as the buyer, don't want to know that because no. you don't want to you don't want to assume that two of those are going to be substandard. But you yeah. sort of there's this wink and a nod that sort of goes, uh huh, I know, I know, mm. they're not all going to be amazing. Right? Yeah, yeah, you know. So- it
1: yeah, and it it it, it, um, it removes the art of it, doesn't it? I mean, you, I mean, you write an awful lot and I, I imagine even for you, you must sit there some afternoons and a blog post probably takes you twice as long as your average, just because of the topic. And then other times it just flows out and the quality well, of exactly those two right. is probably equal. Yeah, that's
2: exactly right. I mean, I write the same length every week. You yeah. Know? And this is a clear, you know, look, this is a, this is a clear, uh, best practice or whatever. Deadlines help, right? Deadlines yeah, So. so. So having a deadline every week is is definitely yeah. something to be you know admired um, for <laughs> all content creators. Um, yeah.
1: But I don't think this podcast would happen if I didn't have a deadline and insist right. that I need That's to exactly get this right. out every it would, Friday. In, in yeah. many
2: ways, they won't. You know, so so yeah. you know, actually shipping stuff actually does yeah. mean something. I, I totally yeah. get that. Yeah. But you know, but yeah, I mean, I I do a weekly letter or weekly post or mm-hmm. whatever it is, you know, at least. And sometimes I do two and bigger pieces and research pieces and stuff like that. But yeah. at the very minimum I do one blog post per week. And that yeah. blog post, yes, yeah, sometimes can take fifteen minutes because I go the muse hits and away yeah. you go. And you know, you literally it's as fast as you can type it. Yeah. Um or sometimes it's my entire Sunday, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean and so and you just never know.
1: No. No. And I, I mean, I try and do this regular Tuesday two cents and it kicks my ass every week because I'm, I'm, I'm like, it's midnight. It's still technically Tuesday. And <laughs> <So, laughs> you know, wishing I'd never called it Tuesday two cents and just bloody choose two cents, you know what I mean? So yeah, um, but if I didn't have that deadline and I, I can't write it. Wednesdays
2: week, half a half, half <laughs> fist nickels or something, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's as usual, uh, Robert. Thank you very much. That's, that's a great thought about the volume of content and, uh, reminding me that, uh, I need to do some, um, <laughs> and have you written about this on your blog?
2: I have indeed. Yes. If you yeah. go to uh, my wonderful uh, website, which is contentadvisory.net um, yeah. you will see a post, uh, entitled exactly, uh, that, which is what is the most important part of scaling.
1: Yeah. Splendid. And, um, yeah. And, and also to go back to when we originally met, I would also encourage people to uh, seek out your your first book and um, and how to you know to some of these basic things you're talking about about how to get off that hamster wheel I think uh, are in some of your earlier writing, so I would encourage people to do that too and if they're spinning the dial on the uh, on those old interwebs, where would they find you
2: <laughs> well. <laughs> I can, other than the website, which I just said, contentadvisory.net, mm-hmm. the best place is probably social media, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm most prevalent on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter these days. Yeah,
1: yeah, and you're top of, you're top of the search results these days. I, you <laughs> know, I mean,
2: yes, it, it, it's been helpful to have some of those other Robert Roses out there sort of go by the wayside. <laughs>
1: Well, it's a pleasure as ever, Robert. Thank you very much. And uh, will I join you same time, same place next week?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I wouldn't miss it.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, See you soon. Thank you, Robert. As we mentioned, you can find Robert at his company website, contentadvisory.net. And I recommend you seek out his podcast, The Weekly Wrap, and this old marketing that he hosts with his chum, Joe Polizzi. New episodes of both of these podcasts have dropped this week. So that's a wrap on episode 26 of Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. And thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track, and jiving along with us. Thanks again to Ian Lowe, to Robert Rose, and to our Rockstar CMO contributing community for a fantastic issue this month. But most of all, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you like my guests, please give them a mention, click their links, follow them, and take a look at their work. I really appreciate their time, so please show them some love. you like the show have an opinion on whether the world needs another ethic marketing podcast drop us some feedback or a review subscribe share or just listen i'm glad you're here. next week i'm hoping to chat to emil christensen a cmo and host of a very popular marketing podcast in denmark but until then i've been your host ian truscott founding editor at rockstarcmo.com and i hope you'll join us again next week here at Rockstar CMO FM.